Hi, everyone. I'm Em, and welcome back to the Your Stories podcast. I'm excited for this week. Um, this is the first episode of the mini-series of getting to know people who have either been with someone who struggled with addiction or people themselves who have struggled with addiction and their journey through recovery. Um, this episode, I'm going to be hearing these stories for the first time with you all as well. So I do want to put a disclaimer that these episodes could possibly be triggering because of it talks about addiction issues and recovery and the people sharing their stories might be very detailed in the traumas or just in how they experience things. So if you are not sure if you can handle the episode, um, I would click out of it now. And, you know, there's plenty of other episodes for you to listen to. But if not, um, continue listening. Hopefully this can help you if you know someone struggling or if you yourself struggle. Maybe you can find other ways to cope with things or just to get a different perspective and an outlook for people dealing with these situations. So I'd like to welcome the first guest of this little mini series, Melissa. Um, she's very near and dear to my heart and I'm so excited for her to be on and share her story. Thanks. You're very near and dear to my heart too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start with, um, I am originally from Ohio. I um I have an older brother and an older sister. Um, my older sister mm -hmm. is ten years older than me, um, and she got me high for the first time. Um, she actually gave me um she gave me LSD um, because obviously this was in the seventies. Um, so I. I had a lot of pot when I was like four. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of hash. I did a lot of um, psychedelics, um, not really knowing what I was doing, but um, you know, it was kind of a, um, if you're doing it, then you can't tell on me because you did it too. So you mm -hmm. would get in just as much trouble. And I was young and stupid and didn't know any better. Um, and um we ended up getting, my parents got divorced. We ended up getting taken away from my mother. Um, she was deemed to be um, unfit and my, our dad didn't want us. So we ended up in, I ended up living in an orphanage. Um, my sister who was 14 at that time got married. Um, and then I'm not really for sure what happened to my brother but um so I was introduced to a lot of people that were older than me um and like I had already been partying with older kids and stuff so it just kind of fell into place and um just kind of happened and the older I got um the the worse that stuff got but it, I really think that it all stemmed from, um, I just truly hated myself. I remember one of my foster mothers telling me that, you know, you must be a horrible, horrible child for your parents to not even be able to love you because your parents love you more than anyone. And that wow. always stuck <laughs> in my head. <laughs> so yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. I, I really 
I really just, I didn't like myself. I, um, I was always told that I was stupid. So, um, actually I was told I was retarded. Um, so I grew up thinking that I was not very smart. Um, I was not very pretty. So I, like, I had nothing going for me. I had really nobody in my corner. So it was just a, an easy way to just escape reality and get out of it and not have to deal with anything that was going on out in the world or anything that was going on in my head. Um, and, you know, I ended up dating people who were doing a lot of drugs. Um, I got pregnant with my daughter when I was 16. And my big celebration for finding out I was pregnant was I went out and got high. You know, everybody, um, I don't know, not, not a lot of people admit that, but I mean, my daughter knows that I, um, yeah. I wasn't like hardcore using drugs when I was pregnant with her, but I did smoke a lot of weed and, um, I continued to smoke cigarettes when I was pregnant with her and she was very premature, um, and I don't know, things just kind of fell into place. And I ended up, um, I think becoming a good mom, but at that time, you know, I, I didn't have parents. I didn't have anybody behind me going, Hey, this is how you do it. So I lucked out and, um, got introduced to Planned Parenthood. And at that time they had, um, people that would come to your house and they would check your baby's weight and, you know, check their development and, you know, the, but the whole time I was getting high and I, <laughs> I had to call poison control a couple times because Jocelyn like ate my drugs and <laughs> um, yeah, I can laugh about it now because she's 32. So there's a good minute ago. But at the time, you know, mm-hmm. I just um, I don't know. I hated myself even more. I I was married and he was a drug user and you know I just I in my mind I couldn't do anything right I fought to graduate high school because that's and and I don't even know why I did that to be honest with you because at the time it it wasn't like I had plans to do something in the future it was just um I don't know, maybe somebody is just the thing to do probably yeah. because that's just what you're taught. You go to school and you graduate high school. That's like ingrained in any kid's head. Yeah. But, um, I, I fought, I fought for months. I got kicked out of school because I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, so I fought the school board. I got to go back to school, but it, it's not like I engaged in school or I did well. I, um, when I did go, Jocelyn went with me. Um, my teachers played with her while I did homework and took tests and stuff. But oh wow, that's awesome that they did that for you. It's yeah, I, I I've been some. Sometimes I think I'm the luckiest person and like the most unluckiest person in the world. Like, great opportunities have just fallen into my lap, and I really have no explanation for how or why because most Mm -hmm. kids at that time if you were pregnant you didn't get to stay in school 
it was just unheard of because they thought it, you know, everybody's going to get pregnant then because they're going to think that, you know, your life is amazing. And I was just like, whatever. I don't know who was going to look at me and think my life is amazing. I mean, I was homeless with her. I was, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was insane. And the whole time it was just, you know, she cried or she was sick or, you know, something was going on. The first thing I wanted to do was get high. And it was just because I had no idea how to cope with all the things that were going on in my head and the way I was feeling and what was going on in my life. I just, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. Sorry. But, um, no, you can, it's fine. Um, but it was, I don't know. It was crazy. And my first husband, um, he introduced me to meth for the first time. Um, so we were doing a lot of meth there for, um, about a year. Um, he was very violent when he did meth. Um, so there was a lot of fist fighting and screaming and yelling and a lot of chaos going on. And he ended up, uh, we got into a fight. I left with Jocelyn. I went to work and, uh, I came home and he'd committed suicide in our living room. Um, when they did the autopsy, they found, um, quite a few different types of narcotics in his system, but he, um, he used a gun. So, um, that was probably the catalyst of what started getting me on the road to recovery. Um, really? Yeah. Um, I would think that would make things worse. It did. Because it's so traumatic. It did for about a year. Um, everything got worse. I, um, I, I probably, there's no other way to put it, but I had a complete mental breakdown because I'm the one that walked in and found him. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, for a long time, I just carried around a piece of paper that had my name and my address and my phone number on it, you know, if found, because I couldn't tell you what my name was. Um, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of, a lot of getting high and just, I don't know, I just really needed to escape and just get out of my head because here I am. I, there's nothing that I can say positive about myself. I'm stuck with, with, and that's really a harsh way to put it, but in my mind at that time, you know, I'm like, I'm stuck with this kid. I have no idea what to do with, um, I have nowhere to go. I have nothing and I have no prospects, you know, of any type of a future. I'm just turning around and raising this kid. That's going to just turn around and be the biggest piece of shit in the world. Like I am. And, uh, I, for whatever reason decided I'm leaving Ohio and I've, I've got to get out of here and I've, I've got to do something. So, I loaded up my daughter and we moved, left Ohio. And then uh, that was when I started, um, I started going to NA and um, I was hitting meetings constantly. Um, I, I was going like every day I was going to NA meetings. I was, um, I was really desperate, like 
this can't be it. This can't be what life is about. I, I can't believe that I've survived. Um, you know, my mother almost killed me several times as a child. I, I can't believe that I'm surviving all of this for, for this. Mm-hmm. And this can't be it. So, um, I'm hitting these meetings and I'm working steps and I'm, you know, and I'm going through recovery and the whole time I'm like, you guys are just telling me everything that's wrong with me. I know what's wrong with me. I just want to know how to, how to get to something that will make it, make me right. You know, something has got to, to give here. I mean, you're just telling me that I messed up for the rest of my entire life, but you're not telling me how to fix that or how to work on it. I don't understand. And I, mm-hmm. I struggled with it and I struggled with it, but the whole time I was struggling, I was, you know, I had, I don't know, by the time I had three years clean, I was sponsoring people and I was, you know, starting new meetings and I was, secretary for my area and you know and I was doing all of these really positive things that looked really great but in my mind I still hated myself and I still struggled and I would have moments and I would I would relapse and I'd be like okay I got to get back on there but nothing was working nothing was getting me to the point where I was like I can look at myself in the mirror and say, there's something positive about me. They're just, I could not do it. You, you felt like basically the process so far, it was still just like a bandaid. It wasn't necessarily fixing or answering your questions. It was just patching it up temporarily. It was kind of like switching one addiction to for another. Um, instead of getting high, mm-hmm. I was addicted to going you know, to these meetings and talking and and telling stories, but all of those feelings and everything that made me want to get high was still there. And I was just trying everything to, um, you know, anything and everything to make those feelings go away and to fix myself. I started going to counseling and I, um, you know, and I was in there and I was talking to people and I was taking medication and I was still just struggling and struggling because inside my mind, I was still that unlovable little kid that her mom and dad couldn't even love. So I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't even good enough to breathe oxygen. I really, really did not think that I deserved to live. I um, attempted suicide. I um, I was clinically dead for 35 seconds. The first time that I committed suicide, um, the second time, I was dead for almost five minutes. Um, that time, they thought maybe there might be a little bit of brain damage and stuff. Um, just nothing was working. The meetings weren't working. Nothing was working. I just hated myself. And and that's such an easy way to say it because it was so much more than mm-hmm. that. I, there was just, I could not think of or look at myself and, and anything good come out of what I was seeing. I, it was just such a self loathing that in my mind, everyone would be better off if I didn't exist. 
and I'm looking at my daughter and I'm like, you know, I have nothing to give this kid. No matter what I did, I could go out and do all the best things in the world. But in my mind, when I looked at myself, it was just this horrible human being that didn't deserve to live. And the only way I knew how to not feel that way was to be high. Mm-hmm. It was, um, I don't know. And I, I lived that way for a long time. Um, if you go into the rooms, AA, they call it being a dry drunk. You still have all of the mm-hmm. insanity and all the craziness of being an alcoholic or an addict, but you just don't have the drugs or the alcohol to go with it. And that was me. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, I was even that way when I first met you. I um, mm-hmm. I still hated myself beyond all belief. Um, I uh, After you and I quit working together, I uh, attempted suicide one more time. I um, was in the hospital for a good minute for that one. I, I, um, I succeeded. I actually, but I don't know that time how long I, um, before they brought me back. And there was, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. I, um, so finally I, I moved back to Ohio, which sounds ridiculous, but, um, yeah, I, I met you up there. Yeah. Visited you. Um, yeah, you met me at the, the oddest time of my life. I, um, I was really struggling trying to figure out, um, you know, who I was and why I just couldn't die. <laughs> I really, um, I really truly because you're not meant to, Melissa. I know. <laughs> a lot of people love you. I love. I you. know. I love you too. You helped me a lot when we worked together. I looked at you like a mom. Yeah. I really, um, yeah, and I loved all of you guys. Like you guys were my kids. It, um, but I just I hated myself. I um, I mm-hmm. I, I guess it was um, I really started doing a lot of journaling and I started um, really being honest with myself, like a hundred percent honest of, you know, what are my flaws? What are my character defects? What is, and um, stop taking all depression medication, all anxiety medication. And um, I kind of lost contact with everybody there for about um, four years. I stopped talking to everybody. Um, I went to work, mm-hmm. I came home and, um, I journaled and I really sat down and I really focused on me and what it is that's going to make me happy in life and what, you know, what is wrong with me and what I'm okay with. And, and honestly looking and saying, yes, there is something about me. I finally, I guess, um, five years ago six years ago, I could look in the mirror and say, I have pretty eyes, um, which I've, I'd never mm-hmm. been able to do that before in my life. And, you mm-hmm. know, the next day I would look and I would go, yeah, no, not really. Uh, okay. So just lie to yourself, just lie and, and, until you can believe mm-hmm. it. And it was, it was the dumb little things like that, that, um, 
slowly over time, you know, when I went to college, they, they kind of teach you, um, I went for, um, drug and alcohol, um, abuse counseling. So, um, it's a lot of behavior therapy and they talk about if you change the way you think it changes the way you feel that changes the way you behave. So, you know, so I really started focusing on changing the way that I thought. So every time that I would have these bad thoughts about myself, I would would replace them with, you know, two or three positive things and, you know, really started focusing on what is it that I like? What makes me happy? What do I enjoy? And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm going to say that. And this was all why you were in Ohio, right? It is. It's still a work in progress. I think it's always going to be a work in progress. I have days now when I get up and I, Mm -hmm. you know, and I feel that way and it just, um, I think I recognize it sooner now. So I don't lose control of, of those thoughts and let them get, I don't get carried away with it. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's all about learning what my triggers are and, you know, I don't have cravings to be high anymore. I, um, I just, I don't, I, I don't, yeah, I kind of lost that desire to not want to be in the world because I, I truly want to be in the world. I just, I don't know. I'm trying to find my way. I think it's a, it's a daily process, but addiction is a crazy thing. It's a very crazy thing. A lot of people don't understand it, but and it is. And and I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's not a um. You know, well, nobody put those drugs in your hand. Nobody made you do them. It's not an illness. That's not how it starts. It doesn't start out because I got high. It started out because I hate myself. I don't know any mm-hmm. addict in the world that is ever going to tell you, and honestly mean it. I love myself. I think I'm amazing. I think I'm awesome. That's not how that works. It, you just hate Mm -hmm. yourself so much that there's no other way to get out of your head. There's no other way to, to be able to exist because every moment in your life is about how to end it. That's really ultimately your goal. And because you hate yourself so much, it's not like I can end it um, by, you know, putting a gun in my mouth and pulling the trigger because that's too good for you. <laughs> you don't deserve mm-hmm. that quick, easy ending to it. It's how bad can I suffer and how much can I punish myself because I'm such a piece of shit. That's pretty much what it boils down to. That's addiction in a nutshell. Well, it's crazy, though, because the underlying reasons, you know, they're they're all similar between everyone who struggles. But the things that like the road, the journey and the road to recovery, they vary so drastically from one person to the next. Yes. Because... You basically 
journaling is what I'm getting at is what helped you the most journaling and, and, and journaling and yeah, and honesty. Like I, um, the last time that I killed myself and I was laying in the hospital and I woke up and my first thought was, you've got to be kidding me. I cannot believe that I'm alive. Mm -hmm. And I was so angry. They ended up restraining me. I was so angry. Um, and I, I got violent. So they restrained me. But, um, the next time that I woke up, I remember turning my head and looking and my son was sitting next to my bed and he was crying. And he said, mom, what about me? What am I going to do if I don't have you? I have no one. And I went, shit, (laughs) I'll, I'll make you a promise. This is my promise. I will never do this again. And I will figure this out. So anytime I do start to feel that way, I just think about that. That look on his face. Mm-hmm. You know, I might hate myself, but I love my kids beyond belief. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I I can't stand the, the thought that I would ever make them feel the way my parents made me feel. And it's yeah, it's that's... those kind of things that really were my catalyst for you know, being on this road to getting myself together. I mean, I've been a dry drunk for a lot of years. I was a dry drunk when you met me for a lot of Mm -hmm. years. I have, I've just, I'm just not using, but I, (laughs) I never could get over that mindset and that, and those thoughts in my mind. And no, you're right. There are some wonderful things about me. And I, 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 just have never been able to figure that out. You were like everyone's favorite person to work with. (laughs) (laughs) You were all excited if you were working that day. But I couldn't imagine knowing all this now of how, was it hard to be at work? Because, I mean, there was a lot of things going on with, you know, other people. And it was obvious. (laughs) So it must have been hard to be around that environment. Um, no, honestly, I, this is kind of how it worked for me. Um, whatever I did, it was not good enough. Um, so in mm-hmm. my mind, I was never, a, um, I was never a good manager. I was never a good boss. I never did enough. I could never be enough. And you guys deserved better. No matter what I did, I, it, it wouldn't have mattered. I could have, you know, saved 20 babies from a burning building. And, you know, if one of them got ash on them, I would have been the biggest piece of shit in the world for, you know, the next 10 days because I allowed, you know, something to happen. So no matter what, I, I mean, I can fake it and, and I could fake it really well. I can function in the world, um, but it doesn't change the fact that I just, I hated myself. Everything I did, it was just, was not good enough. Nothing about me was good enough. Did you, no, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, did you ever worry about moving back to Ohio? Because that's where everything yeah, started. Yeah, I had horrible panic attacks when I moved back to Ohio. I um, I think in the 20 years that I lived in Florida, I think I'd been back to Ohio four times. And um, I had panic attacks the whole way there. I had panic attack and horrible panic attacks. I um, ended up going to the hospital twice because of them. Um, I I couldn't handle it. And um, the last the last visit that I had there was probably the first time that I saw my biological mother um, since I was twenty one, and um. I just wanted to kill her. I talked to her on the phone when I lived there. Yeah. Um, it, she um, she didn't have any power over me any longer. She uh, she didn't bring out that scared little kid in me. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that was very freeing. I went and saw my biological father. Um, and we had a very adult conversation. It was very bizarre and very weird. Um, And with him, I was very, um, very calm and very rational. And the end of the conversation, he was like, I just never liked you as a person. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And I was like, I was four. (laughs) But um, yeah, he, yeah he was just like I just never liked you as a person and I said well um I can understand that because as an adult I really don't like you as a person either and we kind of ended it that way and I drove away and got about three blocks from the house pulled over and called John and bawled my eyes out and um you know cried on the phone to him and you know and we talked about the conversation and he you know, and he was like, you got this. You're amazing. You got this. But, um, yeah, yeah it, um, but it, it finally gave me a, some closure with my family, like my family, they're, they're, I say my family, but they're not my family. I don't call them mom and dad. I never have. Yeah. They're Jim and Rita. They've been Jim and Rita my whole life. As long as I can remember, um, because they didn't raise me. They're not my parents. I had cottage parents mm-hmm. that I lived with for the majority of the time that I was um, awarded the state. And Bob and Norma are, in my mind, are my parents. They're my mom and dad. They're the ones who taught me, you know, right from wrong. And, you know, they're amazing people. And I still talk to them to this day. You know, those were the people that, when so, my daughter was born, you know, I rushed over and was like, mm-hmm. look what I made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah, the people in, in, in that foster home, those, those were, those were my family. Those are my brothers and sisters. And, you know, those are my parents. Did you, so when you went back to Ohio, did you go back to your town, your hometown, or did you go just somewhere else? No, I lived else, in my just... own town. 
So is that is that where I visited you? Uh, at, no, we met in Columbus. So it, yeah, we, okay. I lived in a little itty bitty town that um, was probably about the size of Oldsmar, maybe a little bit smaller. Okay. Yeah, it's a very small okay. town. Everybody knew me. Everybody, yeah. No wonder why you would have anxiety attacks about going back. It's so small. As soon as yeah. you step foot in, someone's probably calling people. Guess who's back yeah. type thing then. Wow. Yeah, and it took me a minute to get everybody to, you know, to realize that I'm I'm not 21 years old anymore. I'm That's not me. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people were, you know, hey, let's party. Let's party. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't do that anymore. You know, I grew up, I had kids. That's, that's not me. And that was not an easy thing to do. Um, you mm-hmm. know, my best friend, um, I've known her since we were, I want to say five or six months old and, um, you know, ended up ending the friendship with her. And, you know, that's a, Yeah. That's hard. It, I did a lot of hard work when I was up there. I mean, yeah, journaling helped, but yeah, I just, I faced my demons head on and I, you know, basically told me to kiss my ass and uh, said, I'm, I'm better than this. And I didn't believe it, but I sure wasn't going to let all of them know that I, I didn't believe it, but I did it. That's probably, mm-hmm. um, it seems ridiculous but that's probably one of the proudest moments of my life when I got ready to leave there there was no I wasn't mad I wasn't hurt I wasn't sad I wasn't I I was just yeah I was apathetic about the whole situation it was this part of my life is done. I don't have any reason to ever go back. I don't want to ever go back. Not because I hate it. Not because, you know, I don't, it's just, there's nothing for me there. It's a beautiful country, but Mm -hmm. that's about all I can say for it. It doesn't hold weight over me anymore. Do you think, um, preventing things from holding weight over you like if you didn't do that you would struggle more like yes. you used to versus now that you face basically yes. your demons head on yeah I would still I um honestly I, I think that if I hadn't have made the decisions that I did and I hadn't forced myself to deal with it I don't believe that I would be alive I really believe that I, mm. I would have killed myself. Um, and being up there with everything being so accessible, I probably would have OD'd and died. Which every time I committed suicide, that's yeah, what I, I did. I, I OD'd. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard yeah, of well, I was very bad. bad. Yeah, fentanyl is crazy up there. Yeah, they're even cutting their weed with fentanyl. It's insane. Yeah, seems like you can't just get weed 
just weed anymore. Someone's always yeah. lacing it with something. Yeah, and it was it was just too easily accessible. And I had um I had a doctor that I could walk in and just get whatever I wanted. So I could have I could have yeah, I could have been as oh, high wow. as I wanted to be. I could have very easily. And that was initially what I went there for. I no. initially went there because I just wanted to end it. I just wanted it to be over, done and over with. So when I left and I going yeah, back I to Ohio, I went to Ohio. Um, both of my kids were still here. I went up there on my own. I went up there solely yeah. to um, to end it. I couldn't. I couldn't take it anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> I just want to hug you. I know. <laughs> I, I haven't seen you in forever. I'm I'm glad I saw you then yeah. when I was up there. I am so proud of you. So did you thank you. Did you ever worry about your kids following down the same path or like were you overly like a hover parent no, I've, or... I've always been very brutally honest with um with my kids and you know when we had those conversations about drugs and um I've always been honest with them I um I pretty much talked to them like I did you guys um I didn't I didn't lie to them I didn't mm-hmm. um I didn't try to sugarcoat anything. You know, the reality is when you get high, it's amazing. But the effects of it are, mm-hmm. you know, that's where all your money goes. <laughs> you end up homeless. You end up jobless. You yeah. end up in, you know, in prison because you're committing crimes because you need more drugs. And the only way you can get more drugs is. Yeah. So, yeah, I was very honest with them. I didn't I didn't hide anything from them my kids know all about um my life um I have nothing to be ashamed of I have nothing to hide I am who I am and it's taken me a long time to figure it out but I am an amazing human being and I have a lot to offer the world and you know you do and you do that because you I I share my story it's only going to benefit other people If what was one thing that you wish you would have known like earlier on that maybe would have helped you sooner rather than later? Or is there anything you wish like more people supported you in recovery or um, is there anything you can think of? I I don't know if you know this about me, but for a long time I was a... Um, I was a big um, advocate for um, foster care reform. I, um, yeah. No, I did not. I, I did a lot of um, speaking on that. And um, I, mean, I know things have changed now from the way they were um, when I was little. You need to think I went to foster care in the 70s. So, um, mm-hmm. When I got arrested my very first time, um, 
pushed my mother press charges on me after um, the state had taken me away. They actually came and took me out of the orphanage and took me to jail. Um, I went to an adult jail. Four. Uh, how old? What? There weren't any what? children's jails then. <laughs> but how are you going to press charges on a four-year-old? That's not um, a thing. Like, Jesus. Yeah, the 70s you have no were wild. Idea. Um, yeah, and so things were so different. And parents had a lot of say over what happened with their child. Even though you're a ward of the state, um, Rita could deny me um, access to any mail that I got. Um, she could tell my mm -hmm. foster parents that I was not allowed to have or receive phone calls. Um, so she had a, yeah, she had a lot of really authority over what was going on in my life. Yeah. Because back then foster homes existed, but they were, they kind of really still feel, felt like that was family business and not really state business. So, mm, okay. No, it, the whole point of it was for, you know, you were taken away and your parents were then scared and then fixed themselves and, and you went back and had a, a very happy home life. Um, I was the first kid in my county to ever be a long term. So, um, I think I was 10 when they figured out that I would be in a, a ward of the state until I became 18. Um, and I was the first one in our county. Usually they got shipped away. If you were long term, you got shipped away to a an all girls prison up in Marysville. You didn't stay in foster care. You went to. You went to a, it was a, called a reform school, but it was a prison. Yeah. That's what they did with long-term yeah, yeah. kids back then. So, no, I think um, what would have helped me more is when I did, when I was with people that cared about me and loved me and, and supported me as a child, um, taking all of those people out of my life consistently which Rita continuously did I mean, she made sure that I was never around anyone yeah. that that loved me or cared about me or supported me um my my whole child was my my goal in life was to be that welfare mom I was going to be barefoot and pregnant and just have babies living with some drunk somewhere and you know not working and not doing anything i've 100 gone against everything that my upbringing has taught me to be ever yeah which i can relate to you yeah. on that <laughs> yeah so oh yeah i think um no it's not and it's not easy yeah trust me i i totally understood um i understood your journey a lot more than than you realize um but yeah i think that if at a younger age i would have had for me personally if i would have had that 
anyone on my side as a kid, I think that things would have been different. I just didn't. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm there. I'm just thinking of what to say next. I know there are a lot because, of people I mean, who had loving parents and they did everything right and their kids still um, ended up, yeah. you know, addicted. And and honestly, you can do everything right. What causes someone's brain to trigger and for them to feel the way they do about themselves, you know, is a, it's a big argument among, um, you know, the mental health field and it has been for a really long time you know what what makes mm-hmm. uh, an addict's brain different and you know a lot of people think that um addicts are like um the habitual criminals that you have the same mindset and you pretty much you do mm-hmm. um it's a hundred percent and psychologists believe that it starts from um when you're about three or four months old is when you learn to self-soothe and, you know, calm yourself down. And there's somewhere in that developmental stage, there's a development that we miss that um, we're not able to do that. We're not able to ever talk ourselves off of that ledge. We get to that ledge and we don't know how to get down from it. And yeah. that makes it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It does. Um it's funny how you mentioned the time frame, the age, and basically yeah. it starts when we're babies. Because um I watched the Unabomber documentary. Um, the one where they interview his brother and stuff, and his brother had mentioned that when he was a baby, he got sick and he was in the hospital for two weeks under like quarantine and when his parents got him because obviously they couldn't see him they couldn't nurture him you know soothe him or anything like that they got him and they noticed something changed that's not the same baby that they dropped off and the brother was saying he goes my mother thinks that's that was the turning point was when he was a child when he was an infant and he got sick and those week or two weeks in the hospital and he didn't get the nurturing that he needed from parents that he came back a different person. Yeah. I think, um, I think whatever it is that happens, um, you know, if you're not genetically born with it, which I don't know if you are or not, I know that alcoholism runs in families, addiction kind of runs in families. Um, so there might be a genetic factor to it, but I think, I think the catalyst to that is that that somewhere in that development that you're there's something that you're just not it's it's not, you're not getting that developmental stage that that you need to have. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. So no, it's it's sound because I mean that's what's you know um psychiatrists have been saying as well and yeah it is a fight it's a fight is it a disease is it not a disease is it genetic is it not genetic but the thing is it's 
regardless whether it's genetic or not, if it's not genetic, it still can happen because it's, you know, the yeah, product of you your environment go, that you're you in. You have to go back and you have so, to re, I mean, anybody who's gotten clean and stays clean has basically retrained their mind to think in a different way. That basically that's what it comes down to is you have, you have rerouted those synapses in your brain. So they trigger differently. Yeah. There's a, yeah. Which is why mental health is so important because the mind we, I, I was sent to in the army. It's called master uh-huh. resiliency training. And so like I'm an MRT level one. And when I was a drill sergeant, I got sent to it because they were implementing the holistic right. approach to basic training. And they were teaching us it. It basically takes like 0.35 or 2.5 seconds for a negative thought to pop in your brain and over and undo yes. anything yes. positive that you were just thinking. Because the problem is, is like for our physical fitness tests, you start running and you're feeling great because you got to run two miles, but you're not even a quarter mile in and then you're out of breath. And then you start seeing people pass you. And so then you start thinking, oh, I'm behind. I'm not going to fail. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then your performance is actually going down because you're negatively yes. talking that you're not going to make it. And so the whole point of the training for the drill sergeants that we had to do is we had to teach them how to counteract the negative thoughts and to like, I told them, I called it find the silver lining. So although you failed this PT test, look at your last PT test. Well, guess what? You still failed, but you improved. So you're making progress. And so don't ignore the progress, acknowledge the progress. Don't focus on the failing aspect. Focus on the improvement aspect. And it's when I heard that, you know, they mentioned, I don't exactly mention the seconds that it takes for a negative thought. I was like, wow, because it takes months, basically. It takes so much time to get positive and to think positive, but it takes seconds to undo all that work that you just did, if you allow it. Now imagine that you're having those negative thoughts out of the 24 hours, you're having them 23 and a half hours out of the day. Yeah. You, it it basically would drive you to madness. Yeah. Because yeah. Because you said to escape that and that was your escape. Yeah. I mean, nothing else totally empties your mind like being high. Nothing. Because, you know, you get so high and like you can't even finish a thought of I'm thirsty before that's completely gone out of your mind. So even if you wanted to have those, (laughs) those thoughts of, of how much you hate yourself, it's literally impossible. Yeah, they, they go away as quickly yeah. as they came when you're in that state. Yeah. You're on to something the else. Point of it. Yeah. 
Well, is there, before we end, is there any type of like advice you would want to give for someone who may be struggling or someone who has a loved one or friend struggling? Yes. I'm going to say um, that if you want that loved one or if you yourself are struggling and you want help, um, I'm not sure what it's called now, but when I did it, it was brand new therapy and it was for, it was created for, um, the military and it's, it was called rapid eye movement therapy. Oh, yep. It's still called that because, uh, I, uh, my therapist wanted to do it for me. I, yeah. And I did um, three two hour sessions and um, it works. It truly does change, um, Mm -hmm. which is another reason why I'm very open with um, the experiences in my life because I, I did do that therapy and it Mm -hmm. does take out the emotional aspect of those traumatic things that happen in your life, the trauma. So like that no longer um, emotionally affects you and you can actually think Mm -hmm. logically and clearly about the situation and without those emotional attachments, it's a lot easier to see where things are not your fault or you're not horrible or you're not terrible or, um, you know, maybe you do deserve to live. Maybe there is something good mm-hmm. about you. Yeah, I I believe now it's it's just R E M D because the yeah. D stands for desensitization. Yeah. I think now. So, but I've heard it's good. Um, I remember the doctor saying, yeah, I'd like to start this. But for me, I was just like, I don't <laughs> have trauma. <laughs> so I was confused. I was like, I don't understand. Um, yeah, it was kind of neat. I, I was did like, it. Um, I did it over um, Kevin's suicide and finding him. Um, I had a really hard time with mirrors and um, it just weird things would trigger Um these mm-hmm. horrible anxiety attacks and of course when I would go through those I would relapse the most um and trying to deal with that um that whole situation and um I I totally um I I cannot speak highly enough of that therapy because when you can take emotion and and remove it from a situation and you can look at something that you know just 100 Mm percent pure logic your whole perception of it changes so yeah that that was probably um yeah that was probably one of the huge things that in journaling just be be honest and, and if in your honesty is going to start off with, you know, I'm a piece of shit. I don't deserve to live. And that's fine. That's your honesty at that moment. 
you know, I have tons of journals. I go back and read now, you know, the journals that I, I wrote years and years and years ago. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, sometimes I mm-hmm. feel like I've, you know, I haven't made that much of an improvement. And then I go back and I read them and I'm like, man, I can't believe how far I've come. Yeah. 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 I, I would imagine it's, it's good to see the progress that you've made because it gives a little boost um, in times when you're feeling yeah. like you, you haven't improved at all. So. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope this episode, if anyone's listening, helps out. Um, like she mentioned earlier, though, there's, Narcotics Anonymous as well, so that's always an option. Um, the REMD therapy, uh, she's someone that has done it, and it, it worked for her. And I've heard a few people that have done it, and it worked for them. And I actually have a friend that just posted that she's going to be starting it soon. So, And she was on one of the other episodes. So I'm sure it's going to do amazing things for her as well. So yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Well, you too. I'll talk to you later. You have a great evening. Thanks. All right. Bye.